make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Ina. Keeping it non-controversial. Welcome to Polite Conversations Panel 15. Today we'll be discussing the term rape culture. I think more than ever, especially in today's polarized political climate, it seems to be an important thing to discuss as there are so many misunderstandings around it. Now, if you enjoy this show and what I do here, please consider supporting via Patreon. Without listeners like you, this show just isn't possible. It takes a lot of work to schedule and research and plan these types of panels, sometimes across different time zones, and also try to get guests who will have productive discussions with different views. So if you want more of this, I would really appreciate some help and support. There are thousands who listen, but very few who actually help the show continue. Anyhow, now on to the episode. Today, I've got feminist social scientist Dr. Christy Winters. You can find her on Twitter at kwinty and centrist white male Peterson fan Jason Liggy, and you can find him on Twitter at L-I-G-G-I. Hello, guys. Hello. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Pretty well, thanks. Uh, Looking forward to the conversation. It's a difficult topic, but I I think it's a really important one. So um, I think it's going to be a a worthwhile period of time and discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well. It's going to be good. Excellent. I'm glad that, uh, Jason, you, um, you know, kudos to you for coming on, talking about this. Uh, I put out like a call, I think, on Twitter saying, is there anyone who actually thinks the term rape culture is uh, inaccurate or, or, or too hyperbolic still? And, uh, you know, Jason responded. <laughs> I think he's the only person that actually <laughs> responded to that. I'm sure yeah. there are more people who think so, but... Uh, yeah, well, annoyingly enough for you, I know. I, I've sort of changed my mind. We, dis- we, we discussed oh. it a little bit on Twitter, but I... I Basically, I, I did think that maybe it was slightly hyperbolic or maybe there was an issue where people tended to misunderstand it. So I wasn't sure how useful it is as a term. But the more I've talked about it and the more conversations I've had about it, I've started to change my view on that. Um, so I'm not really sure where I stand. Maybe I'll completely have changed my view by the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's what makes uh, talking to you interesting. Like, you're actually a person that's to the right of me. You call yourself a centrist, and you admit that that's more of a, like, a right-leaning perspective, especially nowadays. You're not one of those that insist they're, like, so on the left, but the left just forces them to have these positions that are so not on the left. So I appreciate that, and we have uh, much more open discussions when you start from a place of honesty. Mm -hmm. And you did hesitate at first to come on and discuss this after our initial conversation on Twitter. Um, Yeah. Can you talk Um, a bit more about that? Yeah, I guess whenever you have, (laughs) whenever you have a man talking with two women about an issue that overly, overwhelmingly affects women, 
there is a bit of a worry about seeming like I'm, you know, this privileged white male coming in and mansplaining rape to women. And I, I don't really want to be that guy. <laughs> um, and, you know, you and I, I know we disagree on a fair bit, but we always engage, I think, respectfully and fairly. But I guess your your audience is probably likely to lean towards agreeing with you. So I was a little bit worried that I might sort of accidentally say something that people really didn't like. Um, and I, I think at the moment it's quite a sensitive topic. I think it's quite raw for people right now because especially victims of sexual abuse because of the Kavanaugh hearings and everything that's been in the news. Um, so I didn't want to basically upset someone by saying something insensitive, firstly, because I didn't want them to be upset. And secondly, because I didn't want people to get the wrong end of the stick and for me to end up, you know, in the next John Ronson book. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can have John Ronson on to talk about how, you know, he wrote about you. <laughs> um, but no, I, I see, I think that sets you apart too, because you care about not hurting people. And uh, I think that shows that you're going to be careful and considerate in your uh, discussion of this topic, even though we may disagree a bit even though I think that when we really b boil it down, we do agree on the bigger principles, but we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of people have literally said to me that they they don't want me to talk about it with them at all, the, the Kavanaugh hearings or rape culture, because it's kind of too painful for them, mm -hmm. I guess, because of experiences they've had in the past. Mm -hmm. So, that I mean, that's also why I, I was a little bit reluctant, because I, I just didn't want to, you know... Uh, cause people pain unnecessarily. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you can understand why someone wouldn't want to just dissect oh, yeah. it when they've when it's so personal for them. Absolutely, yeah, of course. Okay, and so then, what made you change your mind uh, about coming on? Yeah, um, I think I just have to trust in. The fact that I don't think I have any nefarious views. I don't think I'm a bad person. And I don't think, I think by saying what I've said, I've made it clear that I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And, and also I'm open to, to changing my mind on anything we discuss. So I, Which I, makes you, know, I, you like different from every other Peterson fan. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I I get them piling on me as well because uh, I mean I literally tweeted something out disagreeing with him today, and I got How quite dare a few. You? I know they really they really come at you hard. It's like maybe maybe worse so, than the Sam Harris fans. It's strange. <laughs> yeah. So much for uh, so much for rule nine. Rule nine. Uh, rule, rule nine is um, that somebody that you disagree might, with might have something useful, so you should listen to them or something along those lines. Oh, twelve I, steps. I yeah. I should know that. I've read the book, so I should know that. Clearly, <laughs> I didn't read it closely enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, on the other side, Christy, I wanted to ask you, you had some interesting uh, Twitter names going recently. One of yes. them, I think yeah. most recently, was GOP is a rape culture. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten Very much pushback on that? No, I mean, I... I, I, I I occasionally get trolls, but they identify themselves very quickly by asking extremely disingenuous questions mm. or insulting me. So, um, but nobody's sort of seriously engaged with me to ask me why, um, what evidence I would have to support that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm happy to because um, evidence keeps growing by the day. So I know, it's right? like, get that up my list. Um, okay, so let's talk about the term rape culture. Jason, maybe you can talk about how you used to think about it. And then maybe Christy can talk about what, you know, how she defines it. And we can just discuss it okay. from there. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I think the first thing I used to think of when I would hear the term rape culture and I think in a sense this is (laughs) strangely enough part of rape culture is when I'd hear the word rape I imagine someone you know attacked in an alleyway by a stranger Um, and when you hear rape culture I think well if it's a rape culture that means that people either don't really care that much about rape don't think it's a big issue they normalize it they trivialize it so for me, my instant reaction when hearing that was that it would be silly to say something like, oh, the UK or the US is a rape culture because, you know, rape is widely considered one of the most heinous crimes you can commit. You know, it's one of the worst things you can do to someone. I think in opinion polls, second only to murder. So uh, that, that was like how I used to think about it. But I've come to sort of think about it rather than saying that the US is a rape culture it's more that there can be problems with rape culture inside it so mm-hmm. like i wouldn't disagree with the with the idea that the republican party is becoming a bit of a rape culture around this Kavanaugh stuff, how they're engaging with it. And and I watched one of uh, Christie's videos as well that was talking about the Catholic Church being a rape culture. And I thought, yeah, you know, that, that seems fair. Like it's a culture that allows people to get away with rape and covers it up. I mean, what else, what else would you call that? I guess the question for me is whether or not it would be fair to say like the US is a rape culture or the UK is a rape culture or the West is a rape culture. That's kind of my, that was my perspective on it then. And I'm kind of somewhere in a nebulous zone in the middle now where I'm not quite sure what I think. So like fraternities being a rape culture would be more reasonable to you than just saying the West is a rape culture. Yeah, I think saying fraternities is a rape culture or are are rape cultures, um, definitely from what I'm, we don't really have that as much in the UK, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I mean, I didn't go to university, but I know a lot of people that did, and I don't think fraternities are really a thing, but from what I've seen in movies, (laughs) um, it's, yeah, it seems bad, there's very much a sort of uh, sexual abuse culture of kind of, you know, trying to like essentially trick girls into sleeping with you and all all sorts of like rapey behaviors that uh, are great. Yeah. I mean, where I went to university, I think they had, they had been trying like banning frats on campus. And so while I was there, we didn't have frats, but of course that didn't eliminate rape or anything. I still came across people so often that described things that were like date rape, you know, it it was just sort of like an expected thing on campus. Like no one was even shocked. And that was shocking to me. And I was coming from Saudi Arabia. So, um, yeah, it's actually like that. You know what I mean? Like movies tend to exaggerate and, uh, you know, overdo things, but I've seen it in my own life with the people that I've known myself, you know, people getting raped on dates by people that they know. You know, I haven't seen it, like witnessed the rapes, yeah. but I've heard women talking about it. Well, so they seem to, the, the, the fraternities seem to almost treat like sex as this kind of conquest. And if you fail to 
get a woman to sleep with you, then you're kind of like a failure as a as a man. Uh, it's like this kind of bro code culture, yeah. you know, where it's kind of you're always trying to win the game of getting women to sleep with you. And if you don't, then you're a pussy or whatever, you know, that, that kind of thing. We do have that in the UK. Like I've certainly met men who think about dating and think about sex in that way that they'd be happy to lie to a girl to get her into bed or... You know, all of those sort of behaviors that I think people describe as rape culture or that, that, that make, up, make up what people call rape culture. Yeah, yeah. I also read an article from The Guardian, I think from 2014, which did that frat brothers rape 300% more. One in five women is sexually assaulted on campus. And mm. here's just a little paragraph from it. University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee police are currently investigating a fraternity after several women were found labeled with red and black X's on their hands after they had to be hospitalized with memory lapses from intoxication at a fraternity party. Last year, three sexual assaults were reported at one Texas fraternity within just one month. At Georgia Tech, a frat brother sent around an email guide calling luring your rape bait wesleyan Jesus. had a frat that was nicknamed the rape factory in 2010 fraternity brothers at yale university marched through campus yelling no means yes yes means anal mm -hmm. so yeah numerous studies have found that men who join fraternities are three times more likely to rape so um i'll link to that article in the show notes but that is troubling to say the yeah. least it's horrifying. It's, it's sort of a sexual assault training ground. Yeah, and I hear stuff like that from the army too, right? I don't oh, yeah, have the sexual stats. assault in the military. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big problem. So, Jason, what changed your mind on viewing rape as something that is done in a dark alleyway by a stranger to sort of including something that is more normalized in our culture? I guess talking to people about the experiences that they've had and also just reading a lot of articles about how you know the majority of rapes aren't aren't like that they're by someone that the victim knows uh, often in you know a place that they would otherwise feel safe like their home or the home of a friend um and i guess I mean, I don't know if there's one particular thing that changed my mind. I have a lot of conversations with my wife about this. Um, she, like, disagrees with me about it sometimes, and sometimes we clash about it. And she's quite good at convincing me of these things, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But she kind of changed my mind as to the idea that rape culture is kind of not that we have a culture where men think it's okay to rape women. It's more that there are some small, well, I mean, relatively small number of people who do things like sexual assault and rape and rape culture is not so much what causes it but it's the surrounding edifice that lets them kind of trivialize it or get away with it or maybe justify it to themselves you know it's it, that, that's kind of what it's describing and i think that that shift in perspective from my point of view kind of helped me to understand what people were trying to trying to say uh, when they said rape culture, I mean, I, I went out on Twitter asking people if they had questions about it uh, for, for me to ask in this discussion. And so many people just like the question was just like, what is it? You know, they mm. just didn't they didn't really know. They obviously heard the term. And I think a lot of people that assume they know what someone is talking about. I mean, I certainly did. Like I say, like my initial reaction to it, I assumed I knew what people were talking about. But it turns out it's actually more complicated than that. And I didn't know what I, I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. And I saw that there was a guy uh, in your thread saying, you know, 
show me where it's codified into the law or whatever. <laughs> rape is okay and acceptable. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, like I think he thinks that if a rape culture would mean that people were going around sort of going, yeah, I raped someone today. High five, you know, <laughs> like, but obviously, I mean, th th there is no society that, that could exist that looked like that. Even in, even in societies that have really bad problems with rape, mm -hmm. generally they just don't call it that. They just, you know, mm -hmm. like, like marital rape, they just, mm -hmm. they don't think that's rape. Um, so I think we kind of have this, uh, there's a language thing, isn't there, where the word rape is something bad. So even if you're a rapist, you won't say what you did is rape because you're yeah. not a bad person yeah. in your own eyes. Yeah, and then there was the genius question uh, that you got <laughs> that was, uh, what was it? Ra what races are more likely to yeah. indulge in rape? culture it, or something oh, like God. that <laughs> yeah very very controversial i have a follower who's quite right-wing and he is quite vocal in uh is openly racist ask, he's pretty yeah he's pretty openly racist and he's quite vocal and asking me questions about stuff and he and i sort of went out and said oh, has anyone got any questions to ask about rape culture and he immediately went to a racial place with it and i was like dude i'm not, I'm not gonna go on a podcast with like i'm already a man talking to two women i do not need to bring as a white guy i don't need to bring race into this as well i'm not i'm not going down that road and also i don't think that's the case at all i think it's a ridiculous question to ask you know i did look up the stats on this for an argument on twitter and from what i recall although i don't have them to hand is that like with most other crimes sexual assaults occur between 88 and low 90 percent within the same racial group or ethnic group you're in. So I am, if we had a white ethno state, that would not protect me because I am most likely to get raped by a white dude. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's overwhelmingly yeah. likely. Um, so the idea that there's sort of this cross ethnic background, you know, rape propensities in certain groups among others is just not borne out by the evidence that I've seen. Mm, but you're yeah. not satisfying that guy still by, because you're not comparing what percent of white men rape versus what percent of non-white men rape that's probably what he wants to hear right yeah the the idea that i think the idea that you know the it's more uh, across races like you know white men are raping black women black men are raping white women or uh, whatever like it, i think it's just all sourced from these racist tropes that mm -hmm. always come up they always come up like whenever i mean i think in nazi germany they were saying that jews were kidnapping young women and raping them uh you know they'll say that it, it's black like obviously to kill a mockingbird that whole thing like it's just a phenomenon that seems to happen. People seem to want to make it a racial thing. And, and yeah. like you say, see it, it doesn't seem to be. The evidence hasn't been well, that out anyway. If I can throw out the P word um, in terms of patriarchy, like preserving, uh, especially like, well, more it's racism, but using the threat of, of violating the woman or violating our women is a yeah. way of sort of creating racial uh, tension cohesion, you know, and that was played up on, and um, that's always been played up on, the, especially in America, that fear of a black man raping your white woman mm -hmm. um, has been a very powerful image and a common theme. I start, I hear a lot of people on Twitter, this, for some reason, whenever I get into a conversation about politics on Twitter now, it always seems to be, people are jump in and say, oh, but you know, if you knew what was happening in Europe, then you would, you know, X, Y, Z. And I, and I always say, well, first of all, I live in Europe, so <laughs> I, I think I would know. <laughs> For a few but, moments. Um, 
for a few yeah, months. Yeah, exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, the, the barbarians are just, just outside the gates of, you know, my house and they'll be here soon. When, when Brexit ends, that's it. The hung <laughs> from the Viking ships are going to start pouring in. I think that's probably the case. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, I think it's... I think you're right about it just being this kind of fear that people like to bring up because it's very visceral. The idea, you know, the idea of someone taking someone's daughter or someone's wife and, and raping them is very, very visceral in people's minds. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful weapon to use in, as, as propaganda, you know? Yeah. And has been. Like, even now, like, the migrant rape, uh, fear-mongering, and it's... Well, it's interesting that it's the same people who are always fear-mongering about migrant rape who will also jump to the defense of people like Kavanaugh. Mm. And ignore the Catholic Church. And ignore the Catholic Church, yeah, or defend it. You want to talk about a, a child rape ring, a global international conspiracy to sexually abuse children? That's the Catholic Church. Yeah. But to go back to Jason's uh, followers questions about like how they just don't even know, like how, what is rape culture? Christy, you know, I think you're the perfect person to field that question. So let's, let's hear it. As I say in Germany, yein, yes and no. Um, because I actually don't like the sociological definition of rape culture. Um, I'm a political scientist, not a sociologist. And so when I came to the term, and I'm also not like a feminist scholar, I'm a I do political behavior, not gender studies, as as is often, um, <laughs> I'm often accused of having a PhD in gender studies. Uh, but not that that's a bad thing, but it's just incorrect. Um, so when I got involved with more of the YouTube stuff and started, and actually that's kind of when I looked a bit more into the concept of rape culture because it didn't touch on my research uh, in, directly. And when I came to the sociological definition, it talks about culture and th sort of like normalizing rape. And the language they use makes a lot of sense to sociologists. But I think for a lay person coming to it, normalizing rape is like saying it's okay to rape. Mm -hmm. And that's not... You know, it's a bad, it makes sense, again, in their terminology, but when I came to it, I had to translate it as a political scientist, and part of political science in our training is we learn a lot of different theories. One theory that is used by a lot of political scientists, not me, because I study voters and voter behavior, but people who study institutions use institutional theory, and institutional theory is basically looking at the formal structures, a constitution, a committee process, the hearing process. Is it open to the public? Um, how many? What is the role of the minority? Uh, the practices uh, around that. And initially when it started, it was quite focused on the law and things that were written down. But over time, people saw that there are a lot of informal practices that happen, just customs that built up or... Um, different ways of practicing things across countries because of cultural differences that weren't written down, but they were inherent then in the process. So institutionalism looks, you can, you can apply it obviously to, to government institutions, but you can apply it to any power institution or any structure where people have authority or try to persuade to make change. And so that's how I understood the word cultures. It was within the framework of institutional theory, because I think that's the easiest way to actually see rape culture for the first time. I think that to see rape culture is a bit like, do you remember the magic eye optical illusions from like a few decades ago? Maybe you like don't. Like the 90s? But, Those like yes, posters I'm with the neon. Yeah, 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 I remember those. I loved those. Right. 
<laughs> the point of the magic eye is you see an image initially when you approach it, but then if you focus sort of mid-distance, there are 3D images that come out at you. And the picture doesn't change, but it changes. You see the same picture, but you see something else too. And I think that seeing rape culture through institutions is the best way to see rape culture. Be and you know, the Catholic Church is a perfect example because when you actually lay out the practices, and I'm preparing actually for a video where I look at an analysis I did of the um, Pennsylvania grand jury report, and I break down the Catholic Church as an institution and how it used all its institutional advantages to perpetuate basically the sexual assault of children. They were complicit in making that decision mm -hmm. at, at, because of their institutional desire to protect themselves as a Catholic church. But anyway, um, so once you see it in an institution in one place, you can then apply it to universities. You can apply it to frat houses. Mm -hmm. You can apply it to prisons. You can apply it then too to the way that uh, the Senate treated Dr. Ford very differently yeah. um, than they've treated anyone else before. And also, you can look at polling that showed that, what did I see, 54% of Republicans think that Kavanaugh should be confirmed even if they he committed a sexual assault. Yeah, there was an article in The Federalist, okay, the headline is why Brett Kavanaugh should be confirmed to the Supreme Court even if he's guilty. And they go on to argue, I think, that it's worse to put an innocent man, to punish an innocent man. Or What, what was it, Jason? Oh, yeah. It's better that one guilty man go free than 10 innocent men be punished. Right, exactly. That's a quote I think from the Founding so, Fathers, if I remember correctly. So, yeah. I mean, maybe not. I think uh, the, the, the general idea of the article is that an investigation is probably not going to be able to settle the question of whether or not he's guilty, uh, not definitively, because obviously it's a difficult crime to prove at the best of times. And Because it happens it was, in private, right? Like, Of course. I mean, this is, this is one of the terrible things about rape in general, is that it's one of the worst crimes and also one of the most difficult to prove. Like, imagine if murder was like that. Um, imagine if it was really, really difficult to prove that someone killed someone. It would be awful. And that, that's the situation we're in with, like, with, with those sort of sexual crimes is they have this terrible impact on people, but they're actually really difficult most of the time to prove. And because they're difficult to prove, people feel like they can't come forward because they won't be believed. Mm -hmm. But sorry, we, we were talking about that article. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the idea is that we can't know for sure. So because of due process, he should be confirmed because otherwise, you know, we're basically just let, setting a precedent where the next time the Democrats have a pick, the Republicans will just, you know, make some allegations or get, get someone to make some allegations and then that will derail the process. And, you know, it's, it's the precedent that it sets. I don't really think it's a particularly good argument. But that, <laughs> I think that's the argument that they're making. Yeah, it's terrible. It's basically a normalizing rape argument. Yeah. It's saying it doesn't really matter if he committed. It's just sexual assault. You should just give him the benefit of the doubt. Right. Um, yeah. I wonder how they'd feel if it was like, again, if it was like a murder thing, like if Brett Kavanaugh was accused of murder in the 80s, but they couldn't find any evidence. But someone testi testified that he's, they saw him shoot someone in the street, but they couldn't find any evidence of it because of, you know, because it wasn't it in his calendar, Jason. 
<laughs> it wasn't in his calendar. Did you see the uh, Matt Damon SNL thing? No, oh, yeah. like, I didn't. Where he got the calendar out? Oh God, that was funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. I mean, th- th- this is the thing. I think they would be they would be treating it differently if it was a different crime. Um, mm-hmm. If it was tax evasion, yeah. or cheating on his taxes, or you know, uh, embezzling funds. Yeah, there was no way they let a federal judge with that taint sit on the Supreme Court. Well, how about lying under oath? How can you be well, a, an effective judge? You know, now it's coming out that he knew about the allegations from Ramirez, I think the name is, and yeah. he said under oath that he had never heard of them. He's yeah. been caught in so many lies. Yeah, there's. I mean, in many ways, if Republican independents, um, the two women who are swing votes, wanted to not have to vote on whether or not they're picking between Dr. Ford and Kavanaugh as to who is right. They could certainly go on the perjured himself while under oath. (laughs) You know, um, I think that's going to be pretty easy to prove. It is easy to prove. It's just right there. The evidence is, it keeps coming up. People are offering this stuff. They're calling the FBI, offering this stuff. That's how much evidence there is out there. Well, the, the, the place that I am with it now is that even setting aside Ford's claims and whether or not the sexual assault happened, personally, I, I think it did. I think she was very credible, and I see no reason to disbelieve her. I've seen people say, you know, there can be psychological trauma and people can misidentify attackers, but I, I just, personally, I find it very hard to believe, and no one showed me any compelling studies yet, so I'm, I'm going to choose to believe that she's telling the truth. Even setting all of that aside, I've seen a lot of arguments that the way he conducted himself you know talking about partisan plots to sink him and stuff like that just shows that he is not the person to be appointed like ultimately i mean a lot of people say that the argument that it's a job interview isn't fair but it is i mean it is a job interview like it's a job interview for a position for life on the highest court in the u.s and this is a guy that someone testifies their allegations against him and like ultimately it's up to each senator to vote I'm not American, so please correct me if I get anything wrong about the political system. I, I may well do. You're, but it's you're up, dead on right so far. <laughs> okay, good. Um, it's up to them to, to vote, you know, based on the information that they have. And, like, the, the hearing is part of the due process, right? We, we hear from both sides, and then the senators make up their minds on what, what they think. You know, we, we, you don't need him to be convicted by the police of rape for it to affect the way you vote. That's kind and of how I, I, I've think to see it. There's an issue here of fairness because there are other witnesses. There was other evidence that could have been introduced, but the Republicans very deliberately said they would only make it. They sort of set it up as a he said, she said. Um, mm. And so they kind of hampered the do the, the investigation or the, the hearing process, the, the uh, consideration of evidence by limiting the kind of evidence mm-hmm. they would even consider. Um, yeah. And then the other thing, too, is... You know, um, she, uh, Dr. Ford, was questioned for the entire Republican time by a prosecutor, and I think Kavanaugh was qu- qu- queried uh, around ten minutes, and mm-hmm. it was when she started to pick apart his calendars that Lindsey Graham had his little mantrum. He started <laughs> shouting all over, and then Republicans just kicked her out. So yeah. when she issued her report saying that it's a he said, she said, because this happened yesterday, I think, mm-hmm. uh, Ms. Mitchell released a report saying that it, prosecutors couldn't go ahead with the evidence that she examined. <laughs> well, yeah. of course she couldn't. Um, so you know, when it comes to a fair process, 
Um, actually, Kavanaugh's had a very bias process in his favor, and he still sucks. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? <laughs> you know, Vox graphic where they oh, yes, had in blue lines, you know, all the times that she answered the question or tried to answer the question to the best of her ability, and in red all the times that he did not answer the question. Uh, yeah. And that alone, I mean, yeah. that is not the behavior of an innocent person to just, you know, you're being asked about something specific and you go on about what a good athlete you were, how good your grades are. It's like, that's not what you were asked, dude. Yeah. yeah and I should just point out, to visualize this for the listeners, that uh, Dr. Ford's, when they wrote out all her testimony and coded it with blue, the entire page was blue. Yeah. And when they did the same for Kavanaugh, it was, what, about 50-50? Yeah, it seemed yeah. to be. Yeah, it was a significant amount of red anyway. Yeah, so just to clarify that for people who might not have seen it. And how many people, how many Republican senators started off apologizing to Kavanaugh? Yes. I mean, to me, that was just appalling, right? Like, I'm so sorry you have to go through this. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Yeah, That, I think, was tactical because the Republicans really didn't think through this prosecutor strategy. It's why they had to change the game during Kavanaugh's testimony in order to rescue it, because he was going down. He was really going down at that point. So what happened was, you know, they wanted to, um, they offered her public testimony. And when she said yes, and they gave her a whole bunch of conditions to get her to say no. But she basically, you know, gave in on everything except Uh for testifying in public in front of them. Then they realized, holy shit, we can't talk to this lady. Right. So then they made up this prosecutor position, which has only ever happened like when a senator has to testify before his colleagues. I think before Fred Thompson did it in the 70s or something. And they said they were going to yield all their time to the prosecutors. So the prosecutor was questioning Ford and the Democrats went, fine, we'll just speechify because there's no point in questioning her. The prosecutor's doing that for us. So why don't we use this time to send our message to our voters, talk to Dr. Ford, um, you know, praise her, whatever. And I think the Republicans just sat there for, the, for all of Ford's testimony, stewing, because they had silenced themselves. And after the break between Ford's testimony and Kavanaugh's testimony, Lindsey Graham went out into the hallway and just started yelling the conspiracy theory about the Democrats releasing this at the last minute, and this is a sham, and it's a terrible thing to do this man. He just went off to the media because mm-hmm. he had been just doing the whole time. And then I think when it got to the point, I don't know if it was his, his five minutes or he just, just had had enough. But when they got to the calendar and he saw how poorly, just watch like until the Republicans start rallying him, how badly he was doing. Um, he went off on that to change tactic. And so they just made it up the whole way because they're not interested in a fair process. They're interested in rigging a particular outcome. And not even a sexual assault yeah. charge is going to stop them from stacking the court. Yeah. They're willing to throw sexual assault victims under the bus on their way to cementing gerrymandering, to cementing deregulation, to overturning Roe v. Wade, yeah. to doing everything that they've been working for the last four four decades to accomplish. Well, didn't Lindsay also say if there's evidence found against him by the FBI, he'd he'd still vote for him? Yep. Yep. Do you think there's some, like, uh, this is something I've thought before, but that there's some, like, broken incentives with the way this system works? Because when a Supreme Court judge steps down, the person that's going to be appointed is largely decided 
by the composition of the Senate at the time, mm -hmm. which swings back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. So essentially, it's a timing issue. So you could have the Democrats in power 90% of the time and the Republicans in 10% of the time and still have every single member of the Supreme Court decided largely by Republicans. And it also means that in this situation where they have Kavanaugh, they basically, because we're about to hit the midterms, they have a choice essentially between confirming him or just firing the choice over to the Democrats when, assuming they win big in the mid midterms. Uh, I mean, that seems like, that seems silly to me. It seems like a broken system. It seems like the incentive for them is just going to be to ignore all the evidence, double down, get their guy on there, regardless of what he did. And I mean, that's just it's just bad for for everyone like but technically just, right if you're a principled decent basic decent human being i mean no amount of incentive should get you to overlook rape if it's credibly you know proven yeah i i do agree although you do you do war wonder about you know if the stakes are high like if, if it was if it was the other way around and the democrats were worried that the person who was gonna put get put on the supreme court if they didn't get their guy in was gonna like you say overturn roe v wade and stuff like that um there, there is quite a lot of incentive to double down and, but i and would try still be critical i mean you can't just ignore a credible gang rape accusations right like that's that that's ridiculous uh yeah. well if i could Sorry, I'll, just, yeah. I'll, I'll stick up. You're the only American, so yeah. go for it. Yeah, please, and a political scientist, so that helps. But oh, yes. I mean, you know, in some yeah, in some fairness to the racist slave owning um, founding fathers, <laughs> the, the idea of a lifetime appointment was actually to rise above politics. The mm. idea is that you know you are meant to because of a lifetime appointment. You, once you're on the court, you're free to do to make what you think are the correct judicial decisions. I think the other thing we have to remember was that when the Constitution was rewritten, life expectancy was much lower <laughs> than it is. Yeah. Now, we're talking well, about the 1770s, you know, so um, uh, 60s, I think, is a pretty ripe old age by that point, you know, yeah. uh, so that is also something that they really didn't foresee. And also, really to this point, you know, Kavanaugh is in many ways a consequence of four decades of hyper-partisanship that mm -hmm. has been going on in America. So I'm not saying that this, the process was perfect before. I'm saying I've never seen it as partisan as it has been mm -hmm. since the sort of Republicans started to obstruct Merrick Garland. Because even, um, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg received like 80-some votes. Um, and if you look back, it's generally, you know, when the Senate confirms, if there's a controversial nominee, they, they drop out or the White House withdraws a nomination or something. And you end up with overwhelming majorities for most confirmations. So this, in some ways, is a, is a very unique and particularly postmodern problem that we're having with American democracy. And the fact that partisanship is now overrode the founders' assumption that houses, the, each of the branches, would guard their powers jealously. The House is meant to not just give in to the Senate and the White House, and the White House not to the Congress. And the Don't you think not to, that you know, either branch. giving someone that power for their lifetime is ridiculous anyway? Like, I, I kind of feel like that's, that's not a good system. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, for all its flaws, the Supreme Court has generally made um, bad decisions which they later overturned. 
a few decades later. So they initially held up um, separate but equal, but then they overturned it with the Board of Education. Um, we had the defense of marriage, you know, um, uh, sort of uh, sodomy laws were right for a while, and then they started to be overturned. So it does end up modernizing. It does end up um, providing, in, I think, an advancement in civil rights over time. So, yeah, I mean, I, mean guess, you know, I guess even I, I, Republicans are like progressing in their views, right? Like, gay marriage isn't seen as it was like maybe 30, 40 years ago. So that's why yeah. Dave Rubin's argument of I'm a gay married man who likes pot, so I'm obviously <laughs> a liberal, that makes no sense. I, I can see. Sorry, go ahead, Percy. Just to say, back in the 1990s, maybe that would have made him, mm. you know, progressive or liberal. Mm. <laughs> but not anymore. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I can, so I was going to say, I can see with the Supreme Court, I can see the value of having a lifetime appointment. I mean, it, it, so if you if you say you didn't have a lifetime appointment, there's, there, I guess there's two possibilities, right? Either it's like a term limit thing where you can serve like four years on the Supreme Court and then you can't go on again, or it's an elected position. Obviously, if it's an elected position, then you're at the, you know, you're at the mercy of the electorate. And so you're not really free to... Uh, rule on things in the way you want to rule on things because you need to do what the electorate wants you to do or you're not going to get voted in. Um, And likewise, if it's a term thing, then you have a career after the Supreme Court to think about where, you know, maybe certain people won't hire you if you make particular rulings and stuff. So I I do understand why why it's structured the way it is, as as crazy as as it seems. But am am I right in thinking as well that they didn't even the idea was originally when America was founded that, that there wasn't going to be political parties. It was it was it wasn't yes. there wasn't supposed to happen. So yeah, this 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 hyper polarized, super partisan environment is kind of just snapping the system because it it wasn't built to work in these conditions. Yeah, it's basically you know when you have uh, the UK in the Westminster system, you have effectively um, one party rule for the length of the term of the government. It's a tot- it's a dictatorship of one party, you know? um, but then that party is held personally accountable. You know who to blame, right? Um, yeah. And I think what what I see is a Republican agenda to basically create one party rule uh, systematically through voter ID laws and voter suppression and and gerrymandering, and then having a court uphold that in order to preserve their power at the expense of democratic legitimacy. So you know the system is being perverted because of partisanship. And power. Um, if these people had, you know, didn't have wealth and to, to lobby and and pay for these campaigns, um, they wouldn't be doing. You know, they couldn't do it. But it's a combination. It's basically oligarchy, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. It's rule of the rich, because the Republicans in in Washington are not for the little guy. Um, you know, so uh, well, they allow anyway, so much money and. They, so, yeah, they allow so much money in politics, right? They the well, one of the huge contributions. Yeah, money is speech, according to the Supreme Court, and corporations are people for the purposes of political campaign donations. So I mean, that's I understand, but that sounds just totally insane. That needs a constitutional amendment. That I think that's it's not about going to the courts or writing laws. I think we need a constitutional amendment to overturn both of those decisions together, ideally, in the same amendment with a campaign finance amendment, basically. But... That's another topic. Yeah. Very, so, very off of rape culture. 
You're right. So <laughs> I was just going to say, can we, you know, maybe circle back and discuss uh, rape culture as, as interesting as it is to pick apart the political system of America? Um, yeah. But yeah, so what I've been seeing from the right in terms of this Kavanaugh thing, in a time where a self-professed sexual predator is basically running the country, um, it's very hard for me to see how anyone can argue that rape culture just doesn't exist in the West and that's purely, oh, those other savages, you know? Mm. What what do you think about someone that would say that uh, America is a rape culture or the UK is a rape culture? Do you think do you think that is too far? Like, is that not a good way of using that term? Like, I guess what's what's I, the correct way to use the term rape culture? Yeah. Is what I'm asking. I in that case, I would actually just change the verb to has. Yeah. Okay. Many cultures, because. I think that's what it really is. It's these sort of like subcultures or institutional practices that operate not everywhere, but enough to make people's lives awful. Um, so does, does the United States have a rape culture? Or like, does it have rape cultures? Yeah, I think lots of them. And I would point to the prison system, the Catholic Church, you know, fraternities, uh, um, the University of Michigan, where a guy was allowed to sexually abuse girls for like decades, um, and they covered it up. So... Yeah, and that's how I would phrase it. And yeah. you can say the same thing, I think, for the UK as well. Yeah, I don't actually hear anyone say, like, America is a rape culture. Usually they're pointing to something specific, some situation, and angrily saying, this is rape culture. Yeah. It sounds to me like it's kind of analogous to the difference between racists and then institutional racism, if you know what I mean. So, right. you, so you wouldn't say that the UK or the US is a is a racist culture, although people um, people may people may say that. Yeah. But, but, what I, but it. But like. What Donald Trump it, is. <laughs> oh, I really oh, hope that, that people don't think that Donald Trump represents American culture. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I really hope that they don't, because that's sad. <laughs> he certainly <laughs> like represents a big part British. of American culture, though. Not everyone. Of course, there are, like, wonderful, diversity-loving, creative, kind, progressive Americans. But, I mean, this is the guy that uh, many Americans, not most even, elected, mm. though. You know? Yeah. But as... As, as a representative of American culture, I think that that's uh, please don't please don't tar us with that brush that one <laughs> particular look, orange brush. <laughs> uh, when when this era is looked back upon, I think he, the MAGA hats the, you know this will all kind of be seen as part of American culture. It's it's oh uh, I don't deny it, but I don't think it's it's typifies it. I think it's just there's too much of America to say that Trump is American culture because of film and music and. Um, food, well, mostly we take other people's food. But, uh, you know, I think uh, for me, American culture is much more about like media and Hollywood and mm -hmm. music mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and commercialism. Right. That but you can't such exclude a huge Trump, umbrella. Right? And no. even just the way prisons work, I think that is sort of institutional racism as well. You know, how black people are incarcerated at much higher rates, things like that. You can't say that there is no. Um, systemic or institutional racism 
but yeah. that's what that's the point I was I was getting at is that the, the difference between when when someone says rape culture, what they mean is there are certain elements of institutions or cultural attitudes that are a problem that that uh, contribute to either um, stopping um, rape victims from getting justice or allowing rape to happen. That I'm I'm not sure um, if that. So one of the things I was wondering is, is does does the idea of rape culture, does rape culture existing actually increase the number of number of people who think it's OK to rape or does it just provide cover for people, for evil people who do rape? Do you know what I mean? Like, is it a, is it a symptom or is it a cause, if you see what I mean? I'm not sure or I both. fully understand the what I think I do. Because of a case study I can think of, there's a, a right-winging kind of YouTube guy who is Canadian. I don't know if I want to drop his name on the show, but during the course of a live show... I'm sorry, he, there's a lot of them. <laughs> he bragged to other people who were hosting the show with him that uh, one time he got really drunk and he was having sex with this girl and the condom was super tight, so halfway through he took it off, mm. but he didn't tell her and he just finished. And the next day she was really mad at him. And his friends had to explain to him that actually in Canada, that was a crime. So don't say that this happened that before so 2010 or whatever. Up. Right. Yeah, I mean. So the, what counts, what people see, marital rape for a long time until the 1970s yeah. was not considered rape. So what rape culture is, is sort of depends on the sort of how the wokeness, maybe. I don't know. That's <laughs> not a very professional term. <laughs> the wokeness. <laughs> of the frame, the wokeness frame of what counts as sexual assault, sexual violation, um, and 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 rape. But so, some people would argue even kind of, now that it's it's too much. You know, they're afraid to give women hugs and stuff because then they'll be accused of rape. You know what I said to that? <laughs> like for the guys who are complaining about that sort of thing, when you start checking under your car in dark parking lots for women or you don't go down certain dark streets because you might women might be lying in wait to attack you, then get back to me about how you're afraid of women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I got, I got into trouble recently because I responded to a comment, which, to be fair, I misread and misunderstood. But basically, I thought that someone was saying, um, if you get accused of rape, you have nothing to worry about if you didn't do it. But actually, what they were saying was, you shouldn't worry about being accused of rape if you're not doing anything, if you see what I mean. False accusations are rare. Um, so I questioned that, and I ended up getting like quite a lot of heat because they thought I was saying that men have a right to be afraid that yeah, they're going to get falsely accused of rape. But, Which I mean, is like, a very I, I just, manosphere kind of talking point, isn't it? I've never, I've never I, heard of that happening. So, Can I say something I saw that blew my mind? It was in the Huffington Post. It was polling data that they'd done after the Kavanaugh thing. One of the questions I asked was, do you identify with Dr. Ford or Trump or neither? You're not sure. And then they broke down the distributions, not only by men and women, uh, but also by party or, part, you know, sort of like Clinton voters and Trump voters. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing to me was on the bottom, it was women who voted for Clinton. And like 26% of women who voted for Clinton or 28 or something, maybe 30, identified with Dr. Ford. Uh, women overall was a little bit less, like 26%. And that actually maps on pretty closely to the rates of sexual assault, one in four, one in five, right? So that seems plausible. But then when I looked at the number of Trump, in, Trump voters who were men who identified with Kavanaugh, 
it was like 75 percent yeah and i'm thinking what have you guys been doing that you would identify with this guy who goes on and on about how much he likes beer and says that he never was at a gathering like Dr. Ford described. And yet his calendar for July 1st describes exactly that kind of party with those people she named. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think there's a total partisan thing where people think that, that it's kind of this, they've, they've already decided what, the truth is and everything else can just be kind of hammered to fit that so they don't want to believe that ford is telling the truth because it goes against their existing narrative and they think well you know i know what the democrats are like they're always trying to like find you know do these plots and secretly try and undermine the republicans and they hate us and you know what i mean that this this kind of attitude of of this conspiratorial thinking but I mean, that's that, nuts like, that's not normal well, oh you God, see, they so can't. Yeah. It's it's tactical. It's you have to think like a Republican. They can't mm. attack Dr. Ford. She's too credible. People side with her. She was reasonable. She was polite. She was deferential. She was femininity, all over. Right. She victimed right. So who do they attack instead? They attack the party. And that way, they're not talking about Dr. Ford's testimony or her credibility. They're making no, some theories of this. Um, well, I guess I'm just responding to this sort of like, uh, why are they so obsessed with talking about mm-hmm. the Democrats and all these nuts conspiracies? It's to distract yeah. from talking about Dr. Ford's credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I follow like a mix of, of right and left wing people. So I actually saw this interesting phenomenon unfolding in real time because I, I watched the hearing live. I watched um, Dr. Ford uh, talking and, and giving her testimony and while it was happening you could see that people were changing their the right wing people were changing their opinion from this is all total bullshit she's making it up to well you know maybe it happened but she's misremembering you know or she's overestimating her memory of the event or and then oh well it, i'm sure it happened like she said but like it wasn't him she's probably misidentified there are these you know psychological case studies of people miss you know it's this constant like backing away from this position as it becomes untenable although you know i did see i did see people uh, straight up just questioning really you know really grasping at straws in a really annoying way uh, like you know the whole like her saying she had a fear of flying thing it's like oh well she goes on holiday so i guess she doesn't have a fear of flying so that like damages her credibility and it's like it's like how is that how is that the same thing like coming to testify yeah. in front of the entire country about one of the most awful traumatic things that's ever happened to you uh, and then going on holiday for fun like yeah one is going to provoke more anxiety than yeah. the other ri- you know what i mean there was a bunch of it just it was so telling that people were just grasping for straws that they just so desperately just wanted to stick to what they already thought that they would just find any excuse, any little hole in her credibility, like they were saying, you know, oh, first she said it was about four people, and then she clarified to be like, oh, I think it was four because, you know, I didn't see her, necessarily see everyone that was there. So that somehow speaks to her lack of credibility, apparently. You know, it's just little stupid things like that. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a, even within rape culture, right, I think it's something that exists in different degrees in different groups right so like we have the mainstream i guess media people who will see like a jock who was accused or even you know uh there was proof against them they'll portray him kind of as a victim 
and losing his sports career or whatever like that. That that I think is part of it. Then there's like the president becoming the president after pussy grabbing mm-hmm. tape and all of that. Then there's like, um, you know, even in our small circles, like the skeptosphere, when it happens within our circles, you, you see like the sort of downplaying or denial or questioning um, when it happened mm. with Krauss, uh, the fact that Shermer has faced nothing, the fact that I mm-hmm. still see atheist podcasters inviting Krauss on, and then they'll put out statements saying it doesn't mean we necessarily agree with everything yeah. that he says mm. or does. And um, mm-hmm. then there's the extreme end where there's the manosphere, right? And even within that, there's the incels and the MGTOWs and the who who are the wor- the worst ones that the incels uh, the incels incels are the worst right yeah right yeah the, yeah 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 uh, the incels are the worst ones where I mean if there's something worse than that then Jesus I don't, I don't know <laughs> what to think about that because they're, they're terrifying but what is what is Rush V what does he identify because he's like openly Rush V is shut down yeah he's that shut he, down is. Is what he is <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I'm not familiar with, with him really who who is that oh. Count yourself lucky. Oh. <laughs> uh, he's think, a rape apologist, basically. Okay. A pickup artist, um, one of those sort of conquer at all costs. In one of his books, he actually describes how he's having sex with a woman and she wanted to change positions and he didn't want to and she tried to squirm away and he held her in place until he finished. But he uh-huh. also talks openly okay. about how if we legalize rape, then women will, you know, protect themselves better. So we should just... <laughs> what? Yeah. That is yes. Yes. He's, so that's some that's a position that he openly holds. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that tells me everything I need to know, doesn't it? Yeah. So he's pretty openly, you know, fine with rape awful. Uh, and awful. Yeah. Then there's the Cernovich, who's been normalized by some of our skeptical people, mm-hmm. so-called, uh, like Dave Rubin, who laughed at, uh, you know, I forget which media outlet it was, said that, oh my gosh, a rape apologist was booked on Fox News, and Dave Rubin was like, ha ha, Cernovich rattling cages, as if this is just something yeah. that you poke the regressive left on. And so there are different spheres where rape is being excused or normalized or covered for in different degrees. And I think even on a global scale, that's what happens. Of course, there are some countries where, you know, marital rape isn't recognized or things like that. This is much worse. But then there's stuff going on in the West that you can't deny that people are people in positions of power are perfectly fine with. You know, what was um, Ann Coulter tweeted the other day? The only gang rape that's happening right now is what's happening to Kavanaugh. Yeah. And I mean she has a mainstream media job. Yeah. It's just it's appalling. Some of this stuff just seems no different to me the way like like a gang rape victim in Pakistan is treated by, you know, the tribal elders and then the way that Dr. Ford is being treated by some of these far-right media people. So, If I could plug my uh, co-host of our current happy hour show, Kevin Logan, he has a series on YouTube called The Descent of Manosphere, which I know has cleared 50 50 episodes now. I haven't watched every single one, but uh, I I had Kevin on and we had a chat about the Manosphere and uh, yeah, whatever I've seen of his, very, very fascinating. He really deep, deep dives into, like, each of these loonies. Yes, um, and with lots of swearing in a Birmingham accent. 
to boot. <laughs> so, you know, there's that as well. But one of the things that I, uh, he started the series off and he did these, and what he does is he watches a lot of programs by a person in the manosphere, usually men. There are a couple women, but it's predominantly men. And he organizes sort of their rhetoric into themes. And after it was pretty soon, you know, six or seven or 10 episodes, he noticed how often these guys were bringing up rape and doing rape denial or rape apology or using rape as to, to weaponize against you know immigra- immigration arguments. And he created a segment called The Inevitable Bit About Rape. And in mm. every episode, every single person has some sort of way of disparaging, you know, rape victims or the justice process in, in a way that, you know, helps victims. And right-wing talking points in the manosphere and all of that, um, one of the things that connects them is misogyny. So, Yeah. Yeah. That ties quite well into one of the questions that I had, actually, which was how, how do you recognize rape culture? Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what do you run into on a daily basis? What are people going to see in life that should kind of ring alarm bells in their head? Like, this is, this is what people are talking about when they say rape culture. Because I think a lot of people, they don't really know. Like I said, they don't, they don't know what it is. They don't know what they're looking for. Uh, and I wondered if there were kind of concrete things that we can point to, like... Uh, the Catholic Church, I thought, was a great example, which I think is actually quite self-explanatory that that's a rape culture. But are there, are there more sort of uh, insidious ones, more um, sort of main, not, not mainstream, because obviously the Catholic Church is huge, but I mean more like um, secular examples? Sadly, because oftentimes I am arguing with anti-feminists that rape culture is a thing, um, I will use the prison system because... Mm. Um, men are, you know, incarcerated at higher rates. Black men are incarcerated at much higher rates and for longer times than, than white men. But it's a way to get the, a connection with them in terms of a men's issue, shall we say. And uh, people, I often point to joking about getting raped in prison as if that is somehow part of our justice system. Think about the logic of that. When you say, when someone goes to prison, you say, you don't bend over to pick up the soap. What you're saying is that part of what your debt to society is to be sexually violated. That's torture. That's not justice. And so normalizing it is to expect it to happen. And then when it does happen, to think that's a good thing. And so I think that's a really powerful example of rape culture that people don't expect because what they tend to hear are examples that affect predominantly women. And the people I'm arguing with are the least receptive to hearing anything about women's plights. So I have to talk to them about rape culture Mm. through the lens of men's concerns in order for them to see it first. Because if they see it in the prison... Then you can move over to the justice system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can start. So, have you connection? Have you had interactions where people have changed their minds because you use that kind of example? Um, I've had people on my rape uh, culture videos, especially ones using the Catholic Church, comment that they hadn't really ever thought about it like that before. Mm-hmm. So, on Twitter, it's really hard because mm-hmm. trolls oftentimes don't want to give up their views, mm-hmm. and so they just quit mm-hmm. or they block me, and then I take a picture and I go victory uh, mm-hmm. and send that out of the tweet. So, um, but I, uh, so it, it's more through the comments that giving people a case study that um, has all the elements of sexual abuse, they sympathize with the victims, you know, children, the rape cultures that involve children are, are always also, um, you know, the ones that emotively connect with us. And so we see it easier because we drop our politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think using non-feminist non-tip- non-feminist examples, 
I think it helps a lot. But uh, I think doing that then frees people of the feminist framework of it. And then they just start to see it as a, as a um, what's the word I'm looking for, as a system mm-hmm. with different parts that work together and produce yeah. certain outcomes, perverse outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so that means if we can change the system, we can change the outcomes to not perverse outcomes. And then it stops being about the feminists. Mm-hmm. And it starts being about the... See, the people yeah. that I... Uh, deal with the trolls and haters that I deal with most are uh, on, on Twitter are like the um, are like secularist atheists. So they have no trouble saying that the Catholic church is a, a rape culture or, you know, that Islam is a rape culture, stuff like that. But where they they get completely blinded is things that they hold dear, their tribes, right? Um, so, like, atheist conferences that cover this stuff up, that let it happen, or, you know, anything secular, immediately they are blinded to it because religion is the problem here, right? We get rid of religion, we get rid of uh, most of our issues. Um, mm-hmm. And so why I, why I find the IDW so insidious is that it, it gives this academic, um, credible veneer to some really old bigotries. And so, you know, the anti-Me Too takes and Stephen Quillette, Jason, you linked me to an article, a particularly terrible article, I thought, by (laughs) a pretty awful person. Um, But it was interesting when we discussed, and I'm hoping that we can chat about it a bit, as well, because they sort of even hijack the language of feminists or social justice to try and turn the argument on its head and advocate mm. for the opposite stuff. So there was this article, I forget if that was Quillette or not, that Sam Harris also RT'd. It was by one of the Weinstein brothers' wife, Heather... Yeah, Heather... Um, Hang. No, it was about toxic place. femininity and I can't yeah. it was one of the most appalling things I have ever read and I would not be surprised if some Salafist mullah wrote that you know like she was talking about how women should not be dressing in these attractive ways and then get mad when men pay them attention and that's all part of it you know but but it's so sinister to me when it's posing as free thought, as intellectual, you know? Mm. So. I read the article. I can't remember it very well, unfortunately, or I would <sighs> probably have more to say, but I do remember not thinking it was that great. So I think Yeah, I think I have some quotes. Let me find the page where okay. I put these quotes down. If I could react quickly, it's just, um, I don't know if, if men always understand, cis men in this case, how much women regulate their bodies every day before they walk out the door. I mean, there is, you know, like I've got scoop shirts and sometimes I, I depending on, you know, like um, whatever, how if it just washed it or if I worn it or whatever, um, I might have to put on a top underneath because I feel like my cleavage is too low. You yeah. Know? So I know that feeling. Good professional. Is my skirt too short? You know, can I, can I, is this, too, what, so you're, you're basically trying to predict what people who you don't know are going to find sexually attractive. And then based on that vague impression of what you think is acceptable, you know, work within those bounds, you know, unless you don't care, which is, you know, maybe good on you for not even thinking about it and just making yourself happy. That's a way for your... Yeah, you know, I've had periods in my life where I have dressed, uh, you know, 
in corsets and things like that completely unapologetically. If someone cannot control themselves around me, I'm not to blame here. You know what I mean? Uh, corsets, fishnets, things like that. I'm not going to, you know, apologize for that or feel like I'm doing something wrong. But now I, I guess I'm no longer in university and I'm just out of that. I, I, I can't wear some of that stuff because I am policing myself. You know, like I'm like, oh, my gosh, my cleavage. I, I should put a tank top on underneath. And my husband's like, you were never like this. You know, what? what's why are you so conscious now? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've I've I've. Uh, heard that some people they they used to regulate themselves a lot obviously women they used to regulate themselves a lot and they realized that a lot of the time it didn't actually matter that much what they wore right. they were going to get harassed anyway so they yeah, just kind yeah. of were like well, I'll just I'll just wear what I want and I know from personal experience like uh, you know I've been walking along with my wife more than once and had people shout things at her out of the car or like uh, this guy once when we were in Wales like just drove past in a van took his hands off the wheel and like looked right at her and did like a uh, like a honk honk oh. kind of thing you know and it's just like, oh my god! Like, as it, and it, 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 obviously, it's not surprising to you two at all. But as a man, like, that yeah. doesn't happen to me. People don't <laughs> do that. Women right. don't drive past me and lean out of the car and just be like, "Nice dick" or whatever. It just doesn't happen, you know. Like, but for women, it's that's all the time. Yeah, and when we talk about, you know, it's an instance of male privilege. It's not having yeah. to experience that is actually a real nice thing in society. It's a blind spot, though, not, right? It, yeah, it helps you to not you don't see. see it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but now back to that article, <clears throat> which is written mm. by a yes. woman. It is a Quillette article. It's about toxic. It's about toxic femininity. Clearly, the author does not understand what the term toxic masculinity means, and just went off as some sort of retaliation. Like, how dare they say masculinity? Lots of people don't understand what. No, it means, they don't. But you could yeah, just Google it, or you know, look it up <laughs> and try to understand it before you write an article. Uh, saying yeah. how shit it is, but anyways. So here's the here's a here's a quote. When women doll themselves up in clothes that highlight sexually selected anatomy and put on makeup that hints at impending orgasm, it is toxic. Yes, toxic to demand that men do not look, do not approach, do not query. Another quote. Creating hunger in men by actively inviting the male gaze, then demanding that men have no such hunger, that is toxic femininity. Subjugating men, emasculating them when they display strength, physical, intellectual, or other, that is toxic. My, like, my, my first reaction to that is, I, I don't think that women do that. Like, I think as a woman, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you make a real effort to make yourself look attractive and you go out you don't expect men to like avert their gaze like they're looking at the sun like it's okay <laughs> to look at you yeah. it's just not okay to leer or to shout things or to like start following you down the street no one uh, does anyone ever say like oh like i went out wearing a you know this nice outfit the other day and this man like looked at me for like three seconds how dare <laughs> i've never heard anyone make yeah. that like say that you know if, if someone if a man walked up to you and i was you know, made an effort and when you are rocking that dress i would be like thank you <laughs> exactly. you know what but if he comes up to me and he's like, hey, nice tits. Yeah. <laughs> you creep. You know, so it's it's really a lot in the delivery because I give compliments to women. Sometimes I just see something like, "You're the way you did your makeup, I love it. Yeah. Like, it just comes out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And it's genuine. It is, it's meant to make them feel better about themselves, not to, like, 
make me get off or feel like I've done? What is the purpose of catcalling? This is it. I mean, clearly it's a dominance thing. It's meant to humiliate her and say, I'm thinking about having sex with you right now. Yeah. And we're supposed to protect, we're supposed to protect men from that. I I don't, what, and what is blue balls, a terminal condition? I like, I, I think it's often, I think the catcalling thing is often a, um, uh, showing off to other men, like, oh, look, oh, look at me, I'll just, like, I'm, like, so alpha that I'm just going to, like, do shout what I'm thinking of this. anywhere thing. with that? Do they get any success? Like, what keeps encouraging this behavior, though? I've like, never heard of success coming from that. So, <laughs> so I mean, what, who are these people and why do they keep doing it? Like, I would be embarrassed myself to try and do that to someone. Just um, to react to that second point as well, that second quote from the article about, uh, I can't remember exactly what it, what it was, Creating hunger in men by actively inviting the male gaze and demanding that men have no such hunger? Uh, No, it's the one where it was about uh, whether men show strength, intellectual, or... Ah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Subjugating men and emasculating them when they display strength, physical, intellectual, or other. So, I have never heard anyone say that a man demonstrating physical or intellectual strength is toxic masculinity. That's not what toxic masculinity is. No, but I think the implication is that the subjugation is when, when you chastise them for, I don't know, grabbing her butt or something, or because you created that attention on yourself. You know, Mm. I think that's the implication. It's not that you just see a man that's intellectually smart and then you want to subjugate him. Uh, maybe and also can I just call this what it is, misandry. She's basically saying men are all monsters, rape monsters that right. are lingering it's so under the insulting surface. to men. So why are these so leading insulting. intellectuals like Sam Harris supporting and retweeting and elevating this garbage that well, comes uh, from well, Salafist I can bring up perhaps a sensitive topic. One of the most awful things I've ever seen come out of Jordan B. Peterson's mouth <laughs> is his pontificating from a Freudian perspective. Well, this is one relevant to this topic. <laughs> um, he's pontificating on the motivations of what he calls radical feminists for allying themselves with radical Islamists, which I've yet to see. But he said, um, maybe it's in Freud in me, but maybe what they're longing for is brutal male domination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I saw that. Men out, like men out of those roles in the West. And I was like, so what you're saying is that every woman who says she wants her freedom actually wants to be dominated. Okay. Yeah, yeah Jason, maybe you can help explain or translate that. <laughs> There's not, I don't, I, to be honest, like, uh, that's not, that. that is pretty awful. Like, I, I see Peterson often, I kind of see him as like my granddad, you know, like sometimes he says some really interesting stuff and he has some great stories and I think his perspectives are interesting. And then sometimes he says stuff and I'm just like, oh God, why? Mm. You know, uh, and that's one of those instances. I don't, I don't have any defense of that, and I certainly don't think it's the case. You know, I can actually really relate to that analogy. Not that that makes me like Peterson anymore, but in terms <laughs> of that conflict of yeah. someone that you think has wisdom, and I see from you know he he does the psych stuff and the self help stuff, and he's helped apparently you know some quite a lot of people. But then the, when the crazy uncle part of him emerges and you just go oh just don't talk just don't say anything put your hand down um yeah, yeah. Well, at least so, you know i can see yes so i can i can see your perspective now a lot clearer i'm probably yeah. like the only jbp person i've talked to that i've been able to get that perspective from so um thanks for that 
<laughs> that's, that's okay. I think, uh, I mean, to be honest, I have trouble interacting with a lot of his fans as well. I don't think they like me much because, you know, if I call myself a feminist or, or you know, male feminists have such a terrible reputation for some reason. It, it kind of bums me out every time I hear someone rip on them. And, you know, as someone who's a fan of, you know, people like Joe Rogan and Peterson and people like that, it happens a lot. There's this kind of reputation that if you're a male feminist you're being sneaky like you're not successful with women so you're trying to like dishonestly pretend that you're like fighting for their causes to get close to them but it's just like it's not the case at all it's not that's not how any male feminist i know operates you know but well, i would I, say from personal experience it's anecdotal but the vast majority of men who espouse or See, val um, see valid points in feminism and say, yes, I will take on a feminist critique. I'll use feminist critique. I think feminist values improve society. So you can say I'm a feminist. Um, those guys are all great. And a lot of times they can, because of their privilege, they can say things to other guys that the guys wouldn't listen to me. Um, uh, sorry, I was starting to think of where I was going to go with this and then I got lost in a sidetrack. Um, so, sorry, what were we talking about again? <laughs> I've lost it as well, actually. <laughs> um, male feminists, how they have a yeah. bad rap? Yes, yes. And I think that on the side of the anti-feminists, they promote that stereotype far more than is reasonable. So while there are, this is my point, there might be isolated cases of um, men who claim to be feminists doing very not feminist, anti-feminist mm -hmm. things. Um, it's much more in the interest of the right to discredit all male feminists. Yeah. So but the left does too sometimes. Yeah, and, I, and the left defends creeps as well, which doesn't help, um, especially when they let them call themselves feminists and speak on behalf of feminists at yeah. crappy MythCon conventions, for instance. Yeah. There's, a, there's a tendency on social media as well, which I, I don't know if it's a symptom of polarization getting worse or part of the cause or maybe it's a bit of both i'm not sure but there's this tendency to always highlight like the worst and craziest examples of the opposite side mm -hmm. so people you know tweets with people saying crazy unreasonable stuff uh unreasonable anti-feminist stuff or unreasonable feminist stuff they spread like wildfire because people get the satisfaction i think from just being like whoa look at this crazy person look at look at the awful things that people are saying and it's the same impulse that means you know we focus on the most terrible things that happen on the news and stuff and so i think a lot of right. groups maybe like male feminists as well can can end up getting unfairly tainted by like the worst examples and that applies to feminists as well i mean people mm -hmm. will say like oh look at what feminists believe and send me like this tweet of this like random anonymous youtube uh, like anonymous uh, twitter account that claims to be a feminist saying something about killing all men or something it's like well mm -hmm. like what, what what am i supposed to do with that like it's just some random tweet i could send you probably i could find a tweet that says anything like mm -hmm. <laughs> and send mm -hmm. it to you it doesn't mean it's representative of the group right mm -hmm. but also uh, i think Sometimes people misuse the label feminist, right? So there are people that uh, engage in a lot of academic anti-feminism, say <clears throat> Sam Harris or even Dawkins, um, mm -hmm. and they call themselves feminists, right? Or they, you know, like just the way that Sam insists he's on the left. I think that's very dishonest, and I would have a lot more respect if he admitted he wasn't. Yeah, come and to the center. That's where I am. <laughs> 
Right, sure. <laughs> Although, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit misleading, I, I find, because when I talk to people in an American context, like, yeah. if I say centrist, they think it means I'm halfway, halfway between a Democrat and a Republican. But I have literally no, <laughs> I have, like, almost zero political alignment with American right-wingers, like, yeah. at all, like, especially not alt-right. Like, I'm, I, if I was in America, I would be basically a hardcore Democrat. Like, I just, yeah. I don't have that. Yeah, right so that's like pretty American. left, I guess, in terms yeah. of America, but it's pretty centrist otherwise. Um, one of yeah, us, so one of recently, us, like. one of us, one of us. <laughs> um, I already call myself a feminist, so. You know. Well, yeah, explain to me how you can say you're a Peterson fan and a feminist. Because, um, like, if I didn't know you and we just met at a bar or something and you were like, yeah. you know, hey, you know, how's it going? And we chatted. We had a, a good conversation. And then you're like, yeah, you know, I'm a feminist. Okay, cool. And then you're like, yeah, and a Peterson fan. I would literally just, I don't know. I would have to <laughs> go to another table or something. Because, or maybe I'd just be really intrigued and be like, okay, this dude is really weird. Let's well, find I out mean, what he's about. I guess there's two possibilities. One is that. I just don't agree with the anti-feminist stuff that he says, or I just much of what he says. (laughs) Or I just interpret. I don't interpret it necessarily as anti-feminist. It just depends. I guess it depends on specific examples. But a lot of the reason I like him is isn't because of his takes on women's issues. It's to do with the (laughs) psychology stuff. I definitely don't think like if someone was going to say like, "Hey, who's the uh, who's a good voice to listen to on like feminism and women's issues in the modern world?" Peterson is not the person I would choose. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but see, okay, so, so you're drawn to these types of people who also happen to be sort of anti-feminist, right? So if mm-hmm. people follow you on Twitter and then they see you like retweet Quillette or Sam Harris or mm-hmm. Peterson, it gives which it I do, s- which you do. Um, it gives the impression that you are really not a feminist. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's. I, I guess I could see how people would think that, but like, I think just because you agree with someone on on some things doesn't mean you agree with them on everything. Um, sure, 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 but but usually there are some things that are so bad from some people that it discredits them in their eyes. Like, I'm sure I could find one. Uh, Sam Harris take like his take on Kavanaugh was very reasonable right like yeah yeah but well it's, it's difficult though because obviously like I, I don't want to say I don't think Jordan Peterson is anti-feminist or I don't think Sam Harris is anti-feminist because then that kind of opens me up to like we can go through all of the quotes one by one and I have to kind of prove that it's not coming from that place if you see what i mean mm. so it's difficult for and that's me an to, another discussion altogether like why you're yeah. a fan of the idw <laughs> i'm not here to, to grill <laughs> you on that today I, yeah i don't like idw i don't like that whole thing like the term it's just i i mean like talk about tribal like you're literally naming your tribe just, yeah just don't <laughs> we are the tribe of yeah. super non-tribal people okay <laughs> <laughs> i think you know I, i've been thinking recently that that a lot of what a lot of the problems that I see with people engaging with feminist ideas, it seems to me like kind of a marketing problem. Like when people understand what the issues are, uh, regardless of what name they put on them, they seem to agree with them, you know? And it like feels you like think we rape need- culture and toxic masculinity, if 
Yeah, like if, I, if I explain to someone without using those words what I'm talking about, they'll probably be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. But as soon as I say rape culture, they're like, whoa, 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 you know. But like, that's a what, simplification, what though, because there are people who will resist that you even need feminism. And there are some very influential uh, skeptic types who say you just don't need feminism in the West anymore. I got told by a popular writer in the atheist scene that you don't need feminism because catcalling and things like that if those are our worst problems then i mean those are just compliments anyways and women should learn how to take a compliment does anyone think catcalling is the worst problem like does anyone no. actually is there a, is there a feminist out there that's like yeah like we should all be publishing academic papers about the problems of catcalling like i, I feel like yeah it's an issue but no one i don't really think many feminists say it's the biggest one do they right but they do focus on it as being a problem right like yeah. And, and whatever problems you bring up, those are, you know, immediately discredited. Oh, these crimes, you know, guys murdering their girlfriends or rape and things like that. So that's a separate issue. That's a, a problem with the justice system or something else. That's not a reason why we need feminism. So then yeah. it boils down to, oh, well, this is actually the biggest problem that feminists have. Or there's another atheist guy who, you know, talked about how fe feminists don't care, Western feminists don't care about what's happening to women in Saudi Arabia. They're too busy, like, mm -hmm. you know, worrying about the crosswalk guy being a guy or something stupid like that. You know, the guy, the little lighted yeah, dude yeah. in the traffic light. So these are not real Problems. These are not the ones that feminism exists for. Or Gad Sad, let's say. He, he's more, more concerned about uh, man-spreading and shit than any other feminist that I've encountered. <laughs> he talks about it more, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the way I think about feminism, like, you know, I call myself a feminist, and that's because I think that there are certain cultural and structural barriers that get in the way of women having a full equality of opportunity. You're already, like, deemed a cuck by that point, Jason. I know, I know, I am, I am. And, like, I, I, I get people just saying, like, oh, what, well, what? Like, uh, well, it's um, illegal to, you know, discriminate against a woman. It's like, yeah, I, I know it's illegal. <laughs> but, like, that, just because racism, you know, discriminating by race is illegal doesn't mean it doesn't happen, and it doesn't mean that there aren't other cultural issues. Like, you know, one of the examples I gave when I was talking to people earlier was I, I'm a programmer, right? And a lot of programmers are men. And I've been in companies before where we have been, you know, hire, we're going to hire a, a female programmer. And I've heard other men being like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know women could do this job. Oh, I didn't think there were any, you know, that that's, a, that's not a discrimination thing. That's a cultural thing. And that's a mm -hmm. problem. And like the idea that you know, feminism has solved all of the problems. We're done now. Let's uh, pack it up, and all the feminists let's move to Saudi Arabia, and we'll start work there. Like it just, it just strikes me as ridiculous, to be honest. Like there are, there are clearly still cultural problems. There are clearly still cultural problems. Uh, sorry, structural problems that need to be addressed. And I just, I feel it feels like a lot of uh, people just trying to change the subject when they start talking about Saudi Arabia, I start talking about like, oh, well, why are you so bothered about the crosswalk sign? I don't care about the crosswalk sign. I care about like actual problems that stop women from doing what they want to do. Right. I, I don't care about the crosswalk sign either. <laughs> I mean, it's very unjust that he's white. 
but he's <laughs> green and red, isn't he? <laughs> is he in red? Is he red in England? In, in this country, he's he's green. Um, he comes on when he's when he's on. He's green. It's a white dude here. Ah, okay. We're yeah. more inclusive to Martians, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for those who didn't pick up on it, I was just joking. I really don't care about the color of that right. traffic light. But yeah, so, okay, um, to wrap this conversation up, I think that we agree on the larger issues here. Um, mm-hmm. I guess, Jason, you have changed your mind a lot um, over the course of you know us having these conversations on Twitter, even... From yeah. when you you responded to my tweet saying, you know, does anyone think this is hyperbolic? I think you changed your mind a lot. And that happened from you just looking more into it, I guess, and speaking with your wife. Yeah, yeah. That 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 is basically it. I just I just spoke to a lot of people about it and I did a lot of research and just tried to keep an open mind and watch you know you watched my video. I did. I did watch your video. Now, to be honest, like the the example that you gave about the Catholic Church was a big like sort of knock into my brain of kind of like, oh, so like we're we're talking about a rape culture. We're not talking about is you know uh, the entirety of the culture that we live in a rape culture. You know, does it all? Does it all? Um, what is it? Christina Hoff Summers said something like, uh, "People talking about rape culture, they're basically saying that like rape, that culture is entirely geared towards normalizing rape. That's what they. That's what people think that people mean when they say rape culture. I've since learned that is not what people mean. So yeah. I've changed my mind. <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't listen um, to Christina Hoff Summers on rape culture, please. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I think that we need a, I, I saw, I was reading an article when I was, when I was doing some research on this stuff and it said, one of the quotes it said about feminism and stuff is it said, a well, this is the quote, a well-known masculinity slash men's rights movement that is not mostly anti-feminist has yet to appear. And I think maybe we need something like that. We need, you know, we have toxic masculinity. We need a positive masculinity, you know, like our idol is but like Terry Crews. do talk about like positive uh, masculinity. Absolutely, they do. But I think um, there maybe is a little bit of a, like a marketing problem that like some reason in, you know, culturally feminists have come to be associated with man hating. And I think there's kind of a two pronged attack that we want to do is one, we want to change that perception because it's ridiculous. And the other is we kind of want to like repair this male feminist nonsense and turn it into this kind of positive kind of science-based masculinity, you know, gender equality thing where, you know, we can understand the scientific reasons, the evolutionary reasons, the sociological reasons that these problems like rape culture come to exist. And we can understand again, scientifically how we can, Fix them but see, what, well, now like, these terms are loaded, right? As our culture moves okay. in different directions, science-based mm-hmm. coming from a Peterson fan to me would sound like, uh, or someone who's defended uh, Google guy James Demore, mm-hmm. right? Would sound yeah. like you're trying to defend that perspective, and science to you is just focusing on sex differences and saying that women are innately uh, less able to do certain things and have less interest in certain things and to me that that is not a good direction to go down no I think I think the problem with that argument is that people use it to justify the status quo whereas yes. like I, I do I do think there are 
sex differences and interest, well, sure, but I don't sure, think yeah. they're, they're, not, they're not a reason to just say, so everything's fine as it is. But could I intervene and just say that on his larger point about having a discussion about a positive masculinity and how we can sort of invert the masculine, uh, the toxic masculine elements, I think that larger conversation could be led by male feminists um, because you have the experience of being a man and growing up, maybe seeing some alternatives to speak to those alternatives or what you want for your sons or for society to have uh, for their sons. And I think as a, as, a, as a cis woman feminist ally, I will have your back on that and I will give you mm-hmm. the mic on that and I will you know, yeah. echo those concerns um, through your experience because mm-hmm. I can't have it. Um, so yeah, let me be your ally on that one, friend. I, I am very happy to have you as my ally, definitely. You know, I want to make I want to make it so that when people think of male feminists, they think of Terry Crews. Yeah, know? yeah. Like just this big strong dude who's like super progressive and and you know pro women uh and not I a soy that, boy you mean <laughs> i heard soy boy recently and i've started using it ironically because it just cracks me up it's such a, <laughs> it's such a stupid um but yeah no i mean basically i think hollywood has a lot of responsibility here in the men and a lot of them do i think tom hardy and people like that have stood up and said yeah i'm a feminist and yeah. i think a lot of that is good because people idolize them a lot Mm -hmm. and seeing these visible masculine men saying i'm a feminist and you know i think masculinity is good and these are the good parts of masculinity i think that's what we need to kind of like combat these it's like i said earlier right i think the feminism thing is a marketing problem and we need people who can like like christy did with her video kind of just like break this weird wall that people put up that kind of blocks them from understanding particular issues like maybe by taking a slightly different approach mm-hmm. or maybe just having the message come from a different person you mm-hmm. know like so you know how peterson is like you know reaching all these young men except he's an anti-feminist anti-diversity anti whatever yeah. person if yeah. we had someone i think that spoke to young men uh from a place of being a masculine man I guess uh, that's what you're saying right Someone yes that's exactly what I'm that's saying. a role model and is a feminist I, I, yeah I can't disagree yeah. with you on that I think I want to put Peterson all the good parts of Peterson in a machine oh, and all please. the good parts of Terry Crews in a machine no. and meld them into Terry Peterson Ew. <laughs> Ew. get out of here <laughs> <laughs> in your centrist life <laughs> yeah what good parts okay we're not going to go down this road right now but yeah we'll, we'll do another show on it I think we'll do one where we just uh, go through line by line 12 rules for life oh god <laughs> yeah no, uh, I can't disagree I, I can't agree with uh, Peterson having good parts um, maybe he has nice suits I don't know something like that but uh, anything he says uh, I just I can't, but yeah, I agree with with that in theory. That yes, there should be a figure for guys who's spreading like a, except whoever does that ends up either in the manosphere or I don't know tied up to PUAs. At least that's what it seems like to me. Like it is a very difficult thing to rally around something an identity that already has power. You know what I yeah. mean. So, yeah. like, it's like trying to say, let's have a positive uh, white movement or something like that, you know? It's, mm-hmm. a, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky thing to do. Like, of course, there should be positive 
role models for white people and stuff like that. But when you start organizing around your whiteness, it immediately becomes icky, right? Yeah, that's true. Although I'd say the difference there is that, like, yeah, like you say, like, oh, you know, it would be good for white people to have role models, but we have so many. Yeah, but, <laughs> but so do men. On this issue. It's not like we if don't. I, if I might, but maybe the, the issue is the approach. I mean, I think of, is it Tim White? the guy who speaks on issues of race, white dude. I think I'm getting his, it's just Tim White. Um, and he comes at it from a place of real humility, saying, mm-hmm. I have learned so much from listening to people. Um, but the fact is that you're more likely as white people to listen to me than to them. Mm-hmm. And I need to explain to you why that's a problem. So we're going to relate here as white people, but I'm going to tell you about my experience from point of humility, not a point of identity and I think I've seen too I think Dan Harmon's when he admitted to and apologized for his behavior he came from again and he was saying in that I want to do this to show that it can be done and it can be done with grace and it should be natural and people should do this right and so he wasn't coming there to own the me too space or own so I think the humility that you bring if if one does bring humility to that kind of identity sharing explicitly Mm. then I think that there can be a level of in-group honesty in a public forum that will reach a lot more people than just a private conversation. Right. I agree with that. But don't you think that the people that are already so opposed to feminism and things like that will see him as being, you know, a cuck for being so, you know, humble? and Well, I always play to the center. I mean, when I debated Carl Benjamin, I wasn't debating him. I was debating all the people he who came to see him. Mm, mm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that if you know your audience, if you're going to lose those people, that's okay. Just don't give them sound bites that they can mock you with, if at all possible. Mm-hmm. But they're going to find yeah. something, so just accept it. When, whenever you have sort of a, I, I know what you're saying, Ina. That like it, there's almost like a magnetism with the existing power groups. So like in the atheist scene, as soon as you start going down that road you get drawn straight towards sort of like the sam harris's and then maybe you get drawn towards some more extreme sides but it doesn't have to be that way because obviously you've kind of carved out an audience in the atheist scene that isn't like that and largely they disagree with a lot of the others you know and it's, it's, it's because you've um put voice to those concerns and to those views that people are like oh yeah i think that too oh there's like there is a place for me you know mm-hmm. but um, it's so, so small yeah, yeah, it is smaller, but there, but there's still people, and you know what? It could grow, and it it can change. Like every every community, every group of people starts small. So the the hope is just that if you put the right messages out there, people will respond to it, and people will you know agree with you rather than just getting drawn off into these more extreme elements. And but those are the ones that attract, right? Those are like if I change yeah. my positions today, I could probably double, triple my audience. You know, it's taking. Yeah that path of least resistance and you're going to get the most rewards but taking the path of more resistance is not easy but yeah i maybe I agree. you get the better people maybe maybe it's the the maybe the people that are easily drawn off to the extremes aren't the people who are going to be that valuable as as followers and as an audience anyway because they're just going to troll you and they're just gonna you know fill up your uh, you know take all your refuse to you know take down your patreon support or whatever mm-hmm. because you said something they don't like or you know Mm. 
Anyway, Jason, you've totally ruined my feminist propaganda today where I was going to totally <laughs> own you and, you know, uh, make you sound super unreasonable and yeah. like, what the hell? Look at this crazy dude. Don't worry. I will Christy find something else. You, I will find something else to be crazy about so you can do another show later on where you're <laughs> stupid. It's fine. I'll, fi I'll find it. And now we I have this reasonable say. discussion. Goodness me. I was going to say that um, I didn't really have to talk too much because basically my job here was kind of to convince you that my perspective on race culture was correct and valid, at least, you know, could be validly applied to the world to understand it better. And you kind of did that by yourself. So I didn't have to. <laughs> I convinced Thanks. myself. Blame his wife. <laughs> she ruined it. Yeah, I know. I'll tell her that she ruined it. She'll be listening to this. So, Emily, you ruined it. Emily, thanks <laughs> Thank for you. making him Thank more you, reasonable. Emily. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. So, what what are some uh, parting words from you guys on rape culture? Right. For me, at least, this was actually a much more pleasant conversation than I had perhaps anticipated, merely because of the week, the 10 days leading up to this with the Kavanaugh hearings, and then the topic itself. But this was an incredibly interesting conversation to listen to, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot, <laughs> and I hope I contributed occasionally with some uh, helpful things. But I think uh, if people can hear this, if this is you know widely spread when someone says, well, this is what rape culture is, and they present this podcast, I think it would be an excellent educational tool for many, many people out there. That's great. Yeah. Jason, how do we talk to Jason from, I don't know, 10 years ago? Yeah. I, I, I th so I think that was well, probably, yeah, probably, probably one year ago. Okay. Um, there we go. Last week also. <laughs> last week. Yeah. Yesterday. Um, no, I've, I've, I've heard the criticism that a lot of what's expressed on the topic of feminism can sometimes come across as accusatory. Uh, rather than kind of dispassionate and scientific, because obviously it's a it's a very heated subject. It's very close to people, and and especially for people who've experienced the the symptoms of things like rape culture, I think it can be quite a sore topic to talk about. And I think sometimes the tone with which people approach it does put people off. But I do think there is a place for being true to the science. And I mean the actual science, the actual not science. like yeah, the actual real science. The, you know, the real papers, the real results that are actually scientifically rigorous, and also to be true to like the idea of you know gender egalitarianism and and feminism uh, and equality of opportunity. There, there is a way to be true to all of these things and express that in a way that I think people will respond to. It's just we need to find a way to talk to the people who can be talked to to really make clear the ideas that we're trying to express and bring them over to the kind of the, the side of, and I, and I hate to say it, but, you know, the kind of logic and reason kind of thing, the, you know, real skeptics where people are actually looking at uh, they're not just retreating into these kind of tribal enclaves where they're just doubling down on what they already believe. They're listening to all of the different groups and really trying to piece together an actually accurate picture of what's going on and how we can fix it. And I do think that's possible. And I hope people hear this conversation and they're kind of drawn to that approach and drawn to that attitude. We need missionaries of the new feminism. Oh yes, dear gosh, yes, that sounds do. frightening. Guy. Talk about I, marketing. I sign okay. myself up as a, as oh. a prophet. I, I, you know. <laughs> you want to market yourself? And yeah. um, 
uh, let's let's not go down the missionary route. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Jason, you're not afraid of Frozen, Disney's movie. Oh God, yeah. You know what? That that is possibly the stupidest thing I've seen him say because Frozen is awesome, and so is <laughs> Moana. They're two of the best movies in ages. So, you know, if he goes after Inside Out next, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> This guy is a fake Peterson fan, obviously. <laughs> um, but, okay. So, you like Frozen. That's good. You gave us some good tips on how to talk to Jason from last year, last week. And I hope that that's helpful to people. Because it was really hard for me to find a person that even had a slightly different view on this. And your view became closer and closer and closer to mine. Much to my mm. dismay just as we were planning this podcast. Yeah. So. I was I was hoping, like the research I did, I was kind of hoping that I would entrench myself more the other way so that I could fight you more. But it kind of <laughs> went the other way and I kind of was like, shit, I don't actually have any points left. <laughs> I was going to say, I think I said the, the, your authenticity is what the power of, yes. will be the power in the podcast. Yeah, It's because I didn't have to woman-splain rape culture to you. You basically like, <laughs> She asked questions and you answered them and you talk you, between the two of you, you just talked your way through it. And mm. that I think will come across very credibly to people who are open to you because of you being a man. Mm -hmm. I, hope so. I hope so. And that's actually why I enjoy speaking with you, Jason. We disagree on a lot of big stuff and stuff that I find sometimes really, really concerning as well. And we've, we've argued sure. and, but, but, your authenticity and your open-mindedness to these conversations comes across like most people that I don't see in the center or on the right, you know? So I really yeah. appreciate that. You do engage and think about, and if you are convinced, you'll, you're not going to hesitate to change your mind. Like I believe we had an argument once about uh, how I was like people who want to distinguish between white nationalists and white supremacists are just crazy. You know, they're just playing some kind of game, they're splitting hairs, and you were like, no, 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 it's a very useful distinction. Do you remember that discussion we had? Yeah, yeah, I do remember it. Um, yeah, I can't, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's really useful to distinguish it unless you're doing it in like an academic setting. Sure, I'm sure yeah. I had a I'm sure I had a reason thinking that, but I, I, I don't think that in a normal political uh, discussion it's really worth talking about either of those things other than to say they're bad. So Right. But so uh, that's what I'm saying. Like I really appreciate that you you do what a lot of skeptics claim, you know, that they do. Like they look at the evidence and they'll revise their positions accordingly however you don't see that in the leaders at all you see further yeah. and further tribalism and refusal and straw manning and i don't see yeah. that from you so thank you well, uh, yeah i mean I, I i appreciate you guys saying that about me because i i do strive to not be tribal uh, I think everyone is to a certain degree um, despite what Sam Harris might think uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Sam Harris fan so I'm allowed to insult him um, <laughs> but you know what I mean like um, I think people have a tendency to kind of go into these bubbles and, and not ever look outside of them and sometimes you it's worth looking outside because you know you, you might be wrong and it's worth knowing if you are and I, I've been wrong so much like I've been wrong about a lot of stuff and I just try and just keep keep open minded and keep going where can, the evidence leads me can i just say rule nine bucko rule nine bucko <laughs> clean up my room 
Yeah, all right, guys. I know that's the one to listen to opposing voices. They might have something to teach you. Which one's cleaning the room? I don't. I I only know Rule Nine because I quote it back to Peterson. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You should know all the rules by heart, Jason. I'm going to learn them. I'm going to learn them so I do next time so I don't embarrass myself. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been a great discussion. Um, Hopefully, people will find it useful. And I know that there's no, like, arguing or whatever, but it was still a good talk. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Christy. I found it really interesting talking to you. You're clearly extremely knowledgeable on the subject. And the political science stuff is something I find so fascinating. So it was great to have such a knowledgeable voice to talk to. Yeah. And I I know you're always great. Um, Yes, I agree. (laughs) I'm no academic, (laughs) but you know, but I have opinions and stuff. For sure. I'm I'm in that boat too. We're in that boat together. All right. Well, uh, good chatting with you, and uh, I'm sure we'll all chat again sometime. Take care of yourselves. Definitely. You too. All right. All right. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian Mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too.